This is Dream Power Radio, the place where your dreams turn into reality. Here is your host, Debbie Specter Weissman. Hello, 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 and welcome to Dream Power Radio. I'm your host, Debbie Specter Weissman, the Dream Coach. This is a show where we talk about dreams, both daytime and nighttime dreams, and how you can use them to make the internal shift to a life you love and rediscover the truth of who you really are. In the time I've been doing this program, I've seen a theme weave its way into the episodes I bring you, and it's this. Joining our lives doesn't come with a single snap of a finger. Often, it's the result of successfully rising from the depths of despair by learning deep truths about ourselves that enable us to transform into beings with purpose and a renewed passion for life, such as the case with my guest today, empowerment coach Charlene Madden. She rose from childhood abuse and adult traumas to now being able to help other women grow and embrace their own inner phoenix. And she has an important story to share that I'd really like you to hear. Welcome to Dream Power Radio, Charlene. Hello. Thank you for having me. It's such an honor. Oh, it is my pleasure, Charlene. And Charlene, as I said, you were able to successfully overcome what could best be described as a horrible upbringing and a lifetime of mental illness. What happened to you and how are you now able to thrive in your life? Yes, it's been a journey. As you were saying, it doesn't come with the snap of a finger. My story began early in my childhood. When I was three and a half, I was placed in the care of my grandparents. My parents' marriage had fallen apart. A really extreme alcoholic, and he tended to be violent when he drank. And so at three and a half, I went to live with my grandparents in what was a mixture of a loving, nurturing, nurturing environment with my grandmother, who was a, such an amazing woman, and also a nightmare situation because my grandfather was a pedophile. So at three and a half, my older sister, who is four years older than myself, we started experiencing uh, sexual abuse and trauma at his hands. And this went on for nine years. So it wasn't just a brief episode. And of course, as a child who had come from a broken home, I was terrified of losing the only family that I knew at the time. So it created this need for silence and secrecy and that just carried on for all those years. I was 12 and a half. My sister was 16 when everything came out. And um, it was because my sister was terrified of being impregnated by my grandfather. And she desperately wanted to leave. She contemplated running away, but also knew that if she left, the full brunt of the abuse would then be placed on me. So she finally broke down. Everything came out. My grandparents divorced. My grandfather went to jail. So everything I'd fought so hard to try to do, which was to keep that family together, ended up shattering apart anyway. And um, so I go into high school and I've got all this pent up trauma. And when it came out, it was the early 80s. So there wasn't a lot of follow up care and counseling and therapy. It wasn't really a thing back then. And of course, I lived in a small town and living with my grandmother. She just wanted to put her head down. Let's just get through life and forget And um, that's what I tried to do. But of course, we if we don't deal with the trauma, it's just that smoldering ember that just keeps burning inside of us. And I started experiencing um, mental health struggles as a teenager. I started cutting myself to having suicidal ideologies. I just didn't have any coping skills to deal with the abuse and the trauma of what I was experiencing and had experienced. 
And so when I was 16, I started writing and that was my outlet. It was a way to pour ink out onto paper rather than, than blood, because at the time it was one option or the other. And um, writing was a good outlet. It allowed me to express all the emotions that I had built up inside in a healthier way. But of course, it drew a lot of attention. And I was, you know, pulled into my school guidance counselor's office and met with a psychiatrist, school psychiatrist who, after four hours, diagnosed me as being bipolar manic depressive. Now, it's a time where, you know, I can't just pick up my cell phone and Google it because that didn't exist. So I had no idea what I was even diagnosed with. And again, there was no follow up. It was a simple, if you're feeling overwhelmed and you need to talk, book an appointment, come talk with us. And realistically, talking was the last thing I wanted to do because I had developed this habit of just burying everything and trying to pretend it didn't exist. And so I graduate high school. I move away with my high school sweetheart. We decided decide to start a family, get married, you know, all those things that I think are going to fix this hole that's inside of me. And I think with every child, I thought a piece of me would be put back in, but really a piece of me was still taken out because I didn't have the skills to be a, a mom and a, and a good mom. I struggled with physical connection with my daughters because of the abuse and the trauma I had experienced. And then I dealt with the shame and the guilt of that. And I so desperately wanted to, to have the, the dream life, you know, be the perfect PTA mom and the, you know, the happy married couple. And that just wasn't a possibility at that time, because again, I didn't have any coping mechanisms other than at that time. It must've been very lonely also for you. Yeah. That. It was. And you know, it's, it's so funny that you say that because I was thinking about it this morning and I thought how often I would be in a room full of people, but still felt all alone. And, you know, when you're experiencing that, it, you know, there's so many people that I know feel that way. You know, you can be surrounded with people and still feel all alone inside. So I'm struggling with all these emotions. And at the age of 28, I know that I'm at a very dark place again, where I'm contemplating suicide. And I'm terrified of my kids being the ones that are going to find me. And I make the decision to, I thought at the time, take a break from my family. I said to my husband, I need to leave. I'm not fit to care for myself, let alone three young children. And at this point, our marriage had deteriorated. So he was more than happy for that to occur. So I left thinking that I would work on myself. But the fact was that the shame really repeating the cycle of leaving my kids, just like my parents had done, was really magnified. And that shame and guilt became overwhelming. And again, I just consumed myself with alcohol instead of doing any work, getting any help. And about a month after I'd left my husband, I jumped into a, another relationship because I was so desperate for someone to love me for me. And I just needed it from someone instead of taking it from myself. And this relationship was extremely toxic. Domestic violence started happening very on. And he, you know, the person I got in the relationship with had experienced his own trauma in childhood. It just was such a dysfunctional relationship, but we were so codependent on each other. He experienced mental health struggles at the time, and it seemed like we balanced each other out, which is what tends to happen in a lot of codependent relationships. And fast forward, I end up having a failed suicide attempt about two years into our relationship. 
And I am contacted by my mom who says, I think you need to move across the country, bring the kids, we'll help you make a fresh start. Now, I had developed a geographical pattern of escape in my life where I thought if I just ran away from my problems, everything would get better instead of doing the work. But no matter where I went, there I was. And I move and my partner moves shortly after. And with the promises that everything is going to be different, but realistically, it was just the same dysfunction. And this went on for another 10 years. So 10 years of abuse, dysfunction, of me not having enough self-worth to know that I deserved more. Always had that feeling inside that, and I always said that as a child, I always felt that I was meant to do something important in the world. And I always wanted to share other people's stories because as a child, I had felt I didn't have a voice. And being able to share stories was a way of getting out maybe my voice, but just not in such a prominent way. And About 10 years after we had moved, my partner came to me and said that he was leaving the relationship. He had met someone else and was moving in with them. And again, I feel the abandonment kick in. I've just gone through 13 years of abuse and now you're just, you know, walking away and leaving me to pick up the pieces. And I was devastated, but decided, okay, now I'm going to start to get my life together. And about two and a half months after he had left, I had a police officer show up at my place of work and asked to see me. He took me outside and informed me that my ex-partner had committed suicide, that they had received a call and he had shot and killed himself. And I was absolutely devastated. I felt like everything I knew once again had been completely ripped out from underneath me. And this another person had left me again for a final way. And about two weeks after his death, I was sitting with a good friend of mine and And I was telling her how how angry I was. And of course, she's like, oh, that's one of the stages of grief. Of course, you're angry. And I was like, no, you don't understand. I'm not angry he took his own life. I'm angry he did it first. Because I was left behind to see all the pieces, all the chaos that's left and the brokenness that people suffer through. How do I do that to the people I love after seeing that? And I so desperately wanted to not be there. I suffered a little bit more and then I thought, okay, I need to to try to get some help. I went to see a psychiatrist and I was about three appointments in and I'm the type of personality that, you know, I like a list, give me a list of things to do. So I'll do this, 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 and this will, you know, I'll get stuff done. Just tell me what to do to get better. And I think we so desperately when you're experiencing that, that's all you want is please someone just tell me how to fix this. And I remember asking her, how did you deal with your mental illness? I remember her eyes glazing over and her saying to me, well, Charlene, I've never experienced mental health struggles. And I remember thinking, then how can you possibly sit in your seat and tell me you understand what I'm feeling? Because unless you've experienced it, you can't possibly understand it. You can't relate to what I'm feeling. And I left that appointment and I made my decision that I was going to end my life. I thought, now I've finally tried to get help and I can't, no one can help me. And that's how I felt at the time. No one could help me. So I had set a date for 30 days from that that date. I was just days away from moving into a new house that I had just purchased. And I remember the psychiatrist being so excited because people who are suicidal do not buy a house. That's not something that they do. But for me, buying the house was my way of leaving a legacy for my children because I didn't feel I had anything of value as a parent to leave them other than finances. 
And so I was, you know, a couple days away from moving in the house and 30 days from that date, I had set to, to take my life. And about two weeks prior to the date that I had set, a good friend of mine who I worked with at the time approached me and said, hey, there's this woman's workshop you want to come with me? And I was like, absolutely not. Cause that was the last thing I was interested in. And she says, please, I really want to go, but I don't want to go alone. And there's my kryptonite. I had always cared about everyone else around me and no one else suffering, even though I was suffering. And I was like, okay, fine. I will go with you. You know, I'm thinking in my mind, she really needs this not knowing how desperately I needed it at the time. Like doing it for her, not for you. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I showed up that Saturday for the workshop. Now the, the workshop went Saturday and Sunday and the Monday was the date that I had set to take my life. So when I pulled up at that workshop, I had my hunting rifle in the back of my SUV already. And I thought I have two days to get through and then I can go. I was going to the same location that my ex-partner had gone to And I was going to shoot myself. And I walked into that room of the workshop and I felt sick to my stomach because I looked around this room of women who appeared to completely have it together. They're all talking excitedly. I can hear them setting goals, making plans, like everybody's doing all this stuff. And here I am feeling once again, how much I don't belong. It was like a spotlight had been shone upon me that I was again, so out of place in this world. Well, Charlene, we're going to find out what happened at that workshop. Mm. First, we need to take a break. We are speaking with Empowerment Coach Charlene Madden on Dream Power Radio, and we'll be right back. When is a car not a car? When it shows up in your dreams. Cars are one of the most common dream symbols. If you don't know why you're dreaming about cars or any image, it can leave you confused or scared. But that dream could be a solution to a pressing problem or an insight into a solution that's been bugging you for years. Go to my website and sign up for a complimentary discovery session, and I'll help you understand why a dream is a terrible thing to waste. Go to thedreamcoach.net for more information. Welcome back to Dream Power Radio with your host, Debbie Spector-Weissman. Yes, welcome back to Dream Power Radio. I'm your host, Debbie Spector-Weissman, and we're speaking with Charlene Madden. Now, Charlene, when we left, uh, you were suicidal, just about to end your life, but you stepped into a women's workshop. What happened? I finally went and took my seat, and I spent the first part of the morning again feeling out of place, listening to speakers talk about financial well-being, health and wellness, physical, you know, diet and exercise. And of course, none of this is relating to me whatsoever. There's no connection. And then the afternoon around for it. Well, exactly. I'm like, this is irrelevant to me. This is what I'm thinking. And the afternoon session comes on and a woman takes this stage and she's bald. She has alopecia and she starts talking about how she had spent her childhood, teenage years and young womanhood, hating herself, not loving herself because You know, she equated hair to beauty, of course, as so many women are, are, you know, taught to, to do. And so she didn't feel beautiful. She didn't feel worthy of anything and how her life changed when she learned to love herself. She stopped looking to society and everyone outside of her to love herself and that's what she started doing and everything in her life started to to you know shift when she started to love herself. And I am sitting there and I hear a little voice that kind of goes, well, what about you? And I thought, yeah, how different could my life have been if I had loved myself? 
if I had not needed outside validation to prove my worth and to say that I deserve to be here in this life. Of course, I brushed it off quickly and next speaker comes up and she starts talking about living with mental health, depression and suicidal ideology for 20 years and how she had fought her depression for so long. And it was the moment that she accepted that her depression was a part of her. It was, it's like having diabetes, right? It's part of you. You have to learn to live with it and accept it and love that part of you as well. And how, when she learned to stop fighting against her mental illness, but pulled it in and embraced it, that all of everything in her life changed. And again, I'm sitting there in that seat going, yeah, how different could things have been for me if, if I had learned to live with my mental health struggles, if I could have found a healthy way of living with it instead of just being so sucked into the dark. And again, I brushed it off. And then the next speaker gets on stage and it's a gentleman who is talking about living with alcoholism, a failed marriage, losing you know custody of his kids, living with depression and being suicidal and how he had spent a year trying to find a perfect mix of pain medication and alcohol so that he could commit suicide, but make it look like an accidental overdose because he sold life insurance and he knew what he had to do. And he tells a story of the evening when he found that perfect mix of drugs and alcohol was a rare occasion. His wife asked if he could watch the kids overnight, which never happened. He had his kids at home and he was slowly overdosing on his couch and knew that this was it. This was the moment he was going to die. And he managed to get to his phone. He had heard a voice that said, no, not like this, not today. There's more. Called 911, got help, got clean, got sober, got into therapy and counseling. And now he was sharing his story and all the struggles that he experienced in order to help other people. And as I was sitting in that seat, it's this momentary thing of what is going on right now? I remember thinking that and I almost remember like looking around going, is there a hidden camera here, even though no one knew what I was experiencing? Because I thought, what are the chances that I am number one at an event I didn't want to go to? And number two, I have just heard three speakers talk so authentically and honestly and raw about the areas of my life that I've been struggling with. Like, this can't be by accident that I'm sitting in this seat. I am meant to be here at this moment and hear these stories. And why? Because there's more. Life has more. And I made a decision in that moment that I was going to live. I chose life at that point. And I thought, I'm not just going to live. I'm going to thrive. I'm going to take the stories and the experiences I've had. I'm going to share them in hopes that someone else can find hope through my struggles. I got up and I went and I approached the woman who hosted the event and I said, I would really love to sit down with you and let you know the impact that this workshop had on my life because I wanted her to know that she had saved my life by hosting that workshop. And I sat down with her, shared my story and I said, I would love to be able to come back next year and share it for you. And um, she said, absolutely. So the next year I went back and I shared my story to her audience and I remember saying that my purpose in sharing my stories and my struggles is so that I can reach that one person. And if I can reach that one person, I can save just one life. And if I can save just one life, then that means everything I have gone through in my life is worth it. Mm -hmm. 
And I got off the stage that day and I was walking to go out of the room. And I had a woman that was in the audience approach me and she said, you know how you said you wanted to save a life. I want you to know today you did. And she turned and walked away. And I was sitting there kind of like standing there and kind of awe and shocked, like what? And I remember hearing that voice in my head that I've come to listen to. And it said, okay, now let's go find one more. So for me, every day is about finding one more. It's just reaching out and going, you know, there's a purpose from the pain. You know, we can take our mess and make it our message and share and give hope and inspire people that they're not alone and that there is hope to get through the struggles that you're experiencing. And so now that's what I do. I host a workshop every year as my way of of providing that platform for people to hear other stories. I coach women one-on-one to let them know that they can rise up out of what they're going through. And I come on and share my stories on platforms like yours here. Well, it is such a powerful story, and I'm glad you had the opportunity to do it. In my introduction, I stole something from your own description in which you say that you help women find their inner phoenix. So tell Mm -hmm. me about what you mean by that. Yeah, the phoenix to me is such an amazing sim- symbol in my life. And um, as you can see, my my background there, I have the, the image of the, the phoenix. That's my workshop logo. Because to me, I felt like a phoenix. I felt like I had been burned down to ash through all the trauma, all the heartache, all the pain that I had suffered. And I made a choice to reignite my passion for living and for life and to take that passion and to rise up out of those ashes and to blaze into this amazing life that I have now and to be able to to let other women know that yes you may have gone through something that you feel has burned you down to the ground but there is hope that you can rise up and we all have that phoenix inside of us it's just sometimes we just need to find that ember that's burning still within us so Mm-hmm. Oh, it is so true. So when somebody comes up to you and they tell you that, that they are struggling, what's the first thing you say to them? I never tell someone that it's going to be okay. Cause that was the message I got as a child. Everyone kept telling me that, oh, don't worry, you're going to be okay. I think I, the first message I tell people is I understand how you feel. I may not have experienced the same traumas as what everyone has experienced, but I do have an understanding of what it feels to be lost and to be alone and to sit in those dark places. And for a lot of people, we search and we yearn for that connection. And I think that's what I struggled and searched for was, was connection with, with someone who, who understood how I had felt. And I just let them know that they are one decision away from changing their life because that's what it is all about. You make a decision that, okay, here's where I am. And the, and the women that I work with, I, I tell them it's, I, I live in a radical honesty zone. And that was the one thing that I, you know, all my clients know is that when we come in, we have to get really honest about where we are, why we're there. I could blame all of where I was on, you know, the past and the trauma. And yes, to some extent that, you know, had an impact on my life, but also the decisions and the choices I made as an adult had me where I was. And so I had to own that. I had to own myself and say, okay, I am where I am because of the choices and the decisions I've made. Then give myself the grace to say, 
but I did the best I could with the tools that I had. But now here's where we change. Here's where we take our power back. And at any point in your life, you can make that decision to take the power back. You just have to make that decision. Well, it's the whole idea of taking responsibility for your actions. Whatever they were, good, bad, and different. Yeah. And that's, people struggle with that. I mean, we don't, we don't like the concept of self-responsibility. I mean, it's much easier to, you know, to point the blame and the finger at everybody else, but because, you know, when you take responsibility, then, then you have to look at what decisions you've made and and sometimes they're not always the best. So Mm -hmm. when you do take that step, then you can start to make the changes that you need. Absolutely. Because you take your power back. Like taking self-responsibility allows you to take your power back, which is what we we have to do. Well, going back to that workshop, one of the first speakers you said talked about the whole concept of self-love and that resonated with you. How did you learn to love yourself again? Again, it was it was a decision. You know, it was being really honest with myself and going, okay, let's be real. Like we have sat independent on everyone else to, to validate, validate us, to give us our self of sense worth and a sense of self-worth and to love us. And as long as we're looking for that outside influence to prove, you know, that we're worth being here, we're always going to be searching for it and we're never going to find it. So I had to get, you know, I had to look at myself and go, you know what? I do deserve love, you know, and going, there were people in my life that, that loved me for who I was. Like my grandmother was that constant person in my life that I knew at the end of the day, loved me unconditionally. And so focusing on the fact that, okay, I did have someone in my life that loved me, but, and she taught me to be strong and to be independent and to take care of myself and love myself. I just had to get back to to that lesson. I mean, when we're children, our fulfilling our self needs is that's of utmost importance for us as, as children. And then as we get older, we're taught that it's selfish. And, you know, a lot of people will say that self-love and self-care because self-care is part of your self-love practice, that it's selfish. And, you know, it's, it's breaking those societal messages that we've been taught that loving yourself is not selfish. It is the mainstay of, of moving through life and, and having a stable mental state really for myself was going, okay, I'm going to love myself, flaws and all. I'm going to give myself the grace that I didn't always get it right, but I, I did the best that I could. So just uh, embracing those two concepts was huge for me. And with that, we just have time for one final question, which is how can people find out more about you and your work? Mm -hmm. You can find me on all the social media platforms, Charlene Madden, speaker and author on Facebook. Um, My website is charlenemadden-speaker.com. So you can find me on there. Instagram, I'm on all the social media platforms. So, and if you're interested uh, in my workshop, please follow us on Facebook. It's called Ignite Your Life. We will be operating our workshop again in November virtually. So I'd love to have uh, have everybody come out. Wonderful. Thank you, Charlene, for being on Dream Power Radio today. Thank you for having me. And thank you for the work that you do. We've been speaking with Women's Empowerment Coach Charlene Madden. I hope you've enjoyed today's program. If you have, please hit that subscribe button so you don't miss any of our future episodes. Until next time, this is Debbie Spector-Weissman saying, sweet dreams, everybody. You've been listening to Dream Power Radio 
with your host, Debbie Spector Weissman. For more information on Debbie or to sign up for her newsletter, go to dreampowerradio.com. This has been Dream Power Radio.